Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Uh, this is about hungry babies. Move formula from overseas to the United States. It will be a few weeks before we're back to normal. We're going to protect life in Oklahoma. A ban that would outlaw abortion from the moment of fertilization. Aid for Ukraine, $40 billion. Exorbitantly high gas prices. National average. All-time high. Wonderful to be back in the Republic of Korea. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. It is News and Views for a Friday. Got a good program lined up for you. We're going to speak to uh, John Bell later in the program as the uh, short session of the General Assembly got underway this week. Gets underway really full throttle next week as they start taking votes. Lots to talk about today. The Biden administration has placed an order for a $119 million order for vaccines after one case of monkeypox was reported in the United States. The Biden administration has placed an order for millions of doses of vaccines intended to protect against smallpox and monkeypox. Uh, is this COVID 2.0? I mean, COVID worked in the 2020 election. Is this, uh, uh, are we getting ready for the 2022 shutdown? I, I, I don't know. I'm just, I think it's worth asking. Uh, why now? I, and obviously, the Democrats have nothing to cheer about when it comes to uh, their election prospects. So uh, is this COVID 2.0 election shutdown? Is this going to be another excuse to uh, do whatever you want to do in the upcoming election? I just Okay, I'm going out on a limb here, but uh, you never know. Uh, the Epic Times is reporting a bunch of North Carolina physicians demand an end to a hospital's COVID-19 vaccine trial on children. A group of North Carolina physicians is calling for a halt to a hospital system's COVID-19 vaccine trial on young children. The North Carolina Physicians for Freedom is demanding that the Atrium Health Levine Children's Hospital in Charlotte, North Carolina, cease its Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine testing on children ages six months to five years old. Not only is this completely unnecessary, but it is also toxic, said co-founder Deanna Lightfoot. According to the group's press release, healthy children, teenagers, young adults are at minimum risks of severe complications or death from COVID-19. Great point. I mean, we have now seen a lot of data come out just in the last month talking about the fact that, you know, if if you were a child 12 or under, the chances of you dying from COVID or even getting severely ill from COVID was so rare. You probably stood a better chance of getting injured or killed on the way to get your vaccination shot than you did the, the chances of actually dying from COVID itself. And yet we're going to, we're going to inject these kids six months old and use them as our guinea pigs. Are you kidding me? News and observers reporting two days after U.S. Representative Madison Cawthorn lost his re-election campaign, he called on political movement to put a more vengeful Donald Trump back in power and seek revenge on his enemies. 
And again, this is going to be slanted. This is coming from the News and Observer. He said, and this was a quote out of um, one of the social medias in which he was a uh, writing. I think it was his Instagram. He said, it's time for the rise of the new right. It's time for dark MAGA to truly take command. We have to defeat an enemy, but we will never be able to defeat them until we defeat the cowardly and weak members of our own party. Their days are numbered. We are coming. Cawthorn lost uh, to Chuck Edwards in uh, last Tuesday's primary election. He returned to Twitter the next day saying the best is yet to come. He added on Instagram, when the establishment turned their guns on me, when the Uniparty consolidated to defeat an American first member, very few people had my back, Cawthorn wrote. It's time for genteel politics, as usual, to come to an end, he said. Madison, I concede that there are rhinos in our midst, and I think it's pretty obvious when you look at their voting record who they are and who they're not. But uh, sorry to pull rank on you here, Madison, but young man, you have no one, I mean no one, to blame but yourself. You are your own worst enemy. You apparently thought you were above the law, speeding, driving with a revoked license, making false accusations about drug parties and orgies, immoral videos of yourself. And look, you can say, oh, that video was taken a long time ago. That was, that was, you're only 26 years old. It couldn't have possibly taken a long time ago. And uh, look, I, I realize somebody else got the video and posted it on social media, but you were there when the video was taken. Uh, You attempted to board a plane with a handgun. I think it was twice, not once, but twice. Uh, And I'm sorry, filing for divorce after eight months of marriage? And you don't think that's going to have a political ramification on you? Uh, You have no one to blame but yourself, Madison. And quite frankly, we do not need conservatives that come across as people that are totally irresponsible. Were Were there... uh, establishment Republicans that wanted to say goodbye to you? Yeah. But you know what? There are a lot of conservative Republicans that wanted to say goodbye to you because you're an embarrassment. Enough said. A uh, letter from the National Tax Reform Group, Grover Cleveland's Americans for Tax Reform, sent to the Republican legislature of North Carolina, basically saying, hey, guys, you're doing a great job. He would like to see tax rates drop more this year or over the next couple of years. I mean, we're continuing to drop, but uh, he would like to see that sped up. Eventually, by 2027, the tax rate will hit 3.99%. Basically, we are competing with uh, states that have no income tax. However, you got to realize that those states that have no income tax have a much higher sales tax or much higher property tax. But uh, nonetheless, he gives kudos to North Carolinian, North Carolinian legislators saying that uh, not only are you doing a good job in North Carolina, but you're also a uh, good example to other states that ought to follow in your footsteps. What's interesting, there was a surplus, and we're going to talk to John Bell about this as well, there's a surplus of some $6 billion 
in the coffers of North Carolina. That's what it's projected to be. And yet they're lowering taxes. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Of course, they're also being responsible in how they spend the revenues that they have. And uh, we need to continue to do that. It's not just it's not just how much you bring in. It's how much you put out. If only Washington, D.C. could learn that lesson. Um, Joe Biden is uh, more and more being engulfed in a national energy crisis. Um, he has basically decided to, uh, well, he said in his campaign he was going to kill energy. He was going to kill fossil fuels. And uh, apparently that's the direction he continues to go in. Yesterday, Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee Chair Joe Manchin caught Biden's Secretary of Interior, Deb Haaland, dead to rights on the agenda to kill everything regarding oil and gas exploration. It occurred during a budget hearing. This is cut one, Clark. Manchin whipped out the Department of Interior's own documents, highlighting their intention to kill the whole show. Haaland was less speechless. Uh, if, if I may, real quickly, Secretary Haaland, I don't know. Did, did you all just put out a statement. The U.S. Department of Interior just put out a statement. And the statement basically says a proposed program is not a decision to issue specific leases or to authorize any drilling or development. This is from y'all's office. So it looks like you are on to shut everything down. Did you know you all put this out? I am am sorry. I I am sitting in this hearing and and not. My God, somebody, it shuts it down. It shows what your intent is. Um, this is the Secretary of Interior. She, this is the head honcho. And she sits there like a deer in the headlights. Uh, 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 well, I, I'm in this hearing. So in other words, uh, you're either clueless or you're lying. You have no idea what your own department is putting out in terms of, you know what? Hey, now, now the Biden administration is complaining that it's almost oh, the oil company's fault. Because they're not jumping in there and using these wells that they have the leases on, the options on. Well, you know, it costs money to do that, Joe. But apparently you're lying because it's uh, now come out that uh, the Department of Interior just saying, no, no more leases, no more leases. Unbelievable. Hey, we got to take a time out. Stay with us. When we get back, we'll be joined by Representative John Bell. We'll talk about what's going to happen in the short session up in Raleigh, which has gotten underway this week. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Back to news and views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. Lawmakers returned to Raleigh this week for the start of the short session, which uh, will begin, began with non-voting sessions, should pick up momentum after Memorial Day. John Bell is the North Carolina House Majority Leader. He represents uh, the North Carolina House District 10, representing parts of Green, Johnson, and Wayne County. Uh, John, welcome back to News and Views. Hey, it's nice to be with you. Thank you for having me. Hey, before we get into the short session, any surprises in uh, Tuesday's primary as it relates to the uh, members of the North Carolina House? Um. We had a couple surprises. We had a, a, a long-term member in the um, in the Randolph County area um, who, who was seeking re-election got got beat by an, uh, a challenger, and so that that was a surprise for us. And then, uh, of course, with the redistricting, we have have uh, we had two double bunkings 
where we had two sitting members that were, were lumped into the same district. And of course, you know, you, you're going to lose two of those members. Right. And, uh, and that was, that was unfortunate. Uh, and, but when you have areas that have population loss and we have to shift districts around by our state constitution, uh, every 10 years, uh, unfortunately those are the type of things that happen. Uh, had some interesting, uh, races across the state on the, uh, on the other side of the aisle had a race in Guilford County where a, uh, a hand-picked uh, opponent was recruited by the Democrat Party, and uh, he was very aggressive towards uh, our our member, and uh, he forgot to campaign. And the other lady, who <laughs> was a challenger, she didn't campaign at all, and somehow she took 70-plus percent of the vote. How so, about uh, that? So, wow. <laughs> so elections are always interesting. Uh, you know, this is the time to where where we, we go back in and look at the, uh, the different elections across the state and and what moved the needle, what what made one person uh, more likable than the other person, and how those races are played out. So, so we take time to learn from all those races across the state. Well, on the federal level, everyone is talking about, and I think they're right, that we're going to see pretty good increases on the federal level in the House, in Congress, and probably in the U.S. Senate as well. Do you think that's going to carry over to the North Carolina House and the North Carolina Senate? I do. I want to take you back in history a little bit. Uh, if you look over the last uh, let's say the last 20 years here in North Carolina, the, the best Republicans have performed on a generic ballot. And what I mean by generic ballot is if you if you take all the names off the ballot and just look at Republican, Democrat, um, the, the Republicans, the best we've performed has been a R4, which means the Republican has a four-point advantage walking into the door. Right. Uh, we're seeing polling now that shows us at an R7 to an R11 on that wow. generic ballot. Wow. <laughs> and um, so we don't know what that looks like. Uh, um, President Biden and his administration and the dysfunction of Washington is, has really got uh, people upset about the direction of our country. Um, when you can't find baby formula on the shelf, when gas is hitting $5 a gallon, when you go to the store and get what's there, not what you, you know, you have to settle for what's there, not what you need. Um as Americans, we're not used to this, and we do not like it. And uh, so that, that national drive, the policies that are at the national level, um, are going to trickle down, and uh, it's playing into our favor politically going into the November election. Sounds good to me. Hey, let's talk about the short session. Now, correct me, but I, I believe that the main purpose of the short session is to modify the budget is is that a correct assessment? And beyond that, is there anything else on the agenda that needs to be uh, taken care of? You're you're correct. Um, we have a biennium uh, budget, and so last year you saw us put together a, a, a spending plan for the for the next two years. And we come back in in the short session, which I, I hope this year is short. After coming off the longest long session in, in state history, uh, we, we we all hope it's short. But it's to make tweaks to the spending plan. We have, um, we're very blessed to have a, another surplus again this year. And unfortunately, we're dealing with inflation, so a lot of the projects that we have funded in the in the in the, the long session budget, we're going to have to add additional funding to that to make up for the increase on construction costs and labor costs and and, and inflation that's happening across our state. So that's going to be the main focus of the short session. There will be other bills that that pop up. Um, we have a a bill that you're going to see run next week deals with um, the hemp industry. We had a hemp pilot program that expired uh, January the 1st, 2020, and then six months after that, any any carve-outs, uh, any special carve-outs will expire on July 1st. And so if we don't act, all your 
CBD products, all your your hemp products here in the state of North Carolina would actually be illegal. And so we don't want to um, we don't want to see that happen because we have a growing industry there. So we'll we'll, we'll codify state and federal law. That should be a pretty pretty easy fix. And then we'll start the process of uh, you'll see a lot of local bills come through. Uh, hopefully there'll be no major major legislation because the goal will be to get out pretty quick. We're talking to John Bell, North Carolina's House Majority Leader. You talked about the surplus. It was some six point two billion dollars. Is that a record high for the surplus? It's not a record high. We've um, we, we we've been very blessed to, to have surplus as we moved along. Uh, the tax reforms that we've put in place for the last ten years are, are, are working, and so we want to continue driving that personal income tax down. That corporate tax is going to be at zero. We've built in trigger mechanisms, so we do this in a very strategic way, um, so so we we don't overspend or or put ourselves in a bind for future budgets, but. Um, We've been very blessed that our tax reform is, is working, and we hope it continues to work. And, and it should. North Carolina's a growing state. We've got um, very low taxes, and it just goes back to the old saying that uh, if you tax people less, they have more money in their pocket, they'll spend more money. Isn't it interesting how lowering taxes has increased the surplus, totally opposite of what the Democrats told us? <laughs> Absolutely. And also, not just increasing the surplus, but along with that, we were able to uh, have regulatory re- regulatory reforms here in our state. Uh, when Tom Tulsa was Speaker of the House, he actually implemented the first regulatory reform committee. And I believe every session since then, with the exception of one, we've had a regulatory reform bill, which has reduced regulatory burdens, some really, really over-the-top regulatory burdens for business and industry and families across the state. And so we've done the regulatory reform the tax reform and the result of that is we have a booming economy here in North Carolina. You've got business announcements every day. We have major, major manufacturers, major job um, announcements all throughout our state and people want to be here. So, uh, so, so, so we're, we're one of the fastest growing states in the country and one of the best places to do business in the country. I saw the letter, uh, the, the Carolina Journal was reporting on the letter that Grover Norquist, who's president of the American Tax Reform Organization, sent to the legislature, commending, giving, giving you all kudos on the job you're doing. But one of the things that he mentioned out of that $6.2 billion is, hey, why don't, you spend, uh, why don't you speed up the tax decreases that you have uh, scheduled uh, I, I think by uh, 2027, the tax rate, the income tax rate for individuals would hit uh, 3.99. He's saying, why don't you speed that up, get it here a little quicker than 2027. Is is that on the table? Are you considering that? That's going to be that's going to be part of the discussion. Uh, you know, we, we really we've taken a strategic pl- uh, approach to tax reform. Uh, and so the issue we're running into now is, one, even though we have a surplus, we have to account for the recurring dollars, and, and what I mean by that is, is that once you do investments in and with um, state employee raises, et cetera, you have to account for, for that for the life of that employee. So we want to make sure that we're being very responsible right. on, on our recurring expenses, which will add to the budget from there on out. Uh, also, we're dealing with inflation, and so a lot right. of our surplus is actually going to go to these projects that I uh, – you know, you look at the Brody School of Medicine there in Greenville. That was a $200 million project, and, and construction costs ha- have increased by 20 25% yeah. on that project alone. Yeah. So we want to be able to, to keep our commitment to those type of projects, and so we, we want to be sure that we're spending appropriately. 
Let me ask you, everyone's talking about uh, the Supreme Court leaking that opinion from uh, Alito uh, concerning the Roe v. Wade decision. And it, it looks like there's a really good possibility that Roe v. Wade could be overturned. Will you all be considering any kind of legislation? My understanding is if it is overturned, we will go back to what was on the books in 1973 when Roe v. Wade became law. Are you all considering so, any kind of new legislation? So, unfortunately, any type of pro-life legislation that we put forward, uh, and frankly, any type, any pro-life legislation that we have put forward has, has been vetoed by Governor Cooper. Uh, he is not going to support any of that. Uh, we, we do not have the votes in the House nor the Senate to override a veto at this time. Um, because we would have to have three Democrats in the House and two Democrats in the Senate to join us on, on an override. And so um, that makes it a challenge to get something done. But that is why these elections coming up are, are extremely important. We want to be sure that we, we get the supermajority in place in the House and the Senate. That way we can push forward on uh, a pro-life conservative agenda and, and make sure it becomes law here in the state of North Carolina. And the way you said that, it sounds like you feel like there is a, a real possibility that the Republicans could get a supermajority. We do. When you look at the, the polling that, that we're seeing across not just our state, but across the nation, and the, in the, the polling that the president has overall, uh, how, how low he's polling in favorability, that gives us an opportunity to, to go after seats that we probably wouldn't have been able to go after before. And we've recruited some outstanding candidates across the state. We've got people that have chosen to say, hey, look, you know, I'm going to put my, my, my business and, and my career and, and, and my family on hold right now. It's, it's an opportunity to serve my community. And they have really stepped up. And so we've got outstanding candidates running. We feel confident that we will get right close to the supermajority or over the supermajority. And uh, we think November is going to be an outstanding, out, outstanding time for conservatives across the state. Again, we're talking to John Bell, North Carolina's House Majority Leader. Uh, another issue, and this is one that has bipartisan support. In fact, it might have more support on the Democratic side than it has on the Republican side, and that's sports wagering. Are you going to deal with that this uh, short session? Um, I, I, I actually, I, I leave as soon as I hang up with you. I leave for a meeting to go talk about that very subject. Hmm. Uh, it, it is it is a uh, subject that has been brought up on the bill passed the Senate. Uh, it has uh, passed the committee in the House. And so uh, we will be taking up that that bill as we move along in session. And so we're not at the point to where we're counting votes yet, but it is uh, there, there's there's a there's some favorability for it. There's some opposition against it, and there's folks in the middle that are learning more about it. So uh, that's the issue that you'll see play out here in the short session. So the short session you think will be over, I, and I know things are in flux uh, because obviously the long session was really long, and uh, you it probably really feel like long. you just got out of the long session. I, How long do you think the short session is going to go? Well, I feel like we never left, but you know, you know, the, the great thing, uh, unfortunately, it was a very long session. But the great thing is, is we came out with a strong bipartisan budget that was really good for the citizens of this state, and so I'm very proud of that. And, and it's our hope that by Fourth of July, we'll be out of Raleigh and back home in our districts and. And, and serving our communities. Sounds good. John, thanks for all you do. Thanks for checking in with us. Let's stay in touch, especially as the short session uh, comes to some uh, decision-making. Uh, keep us informed. Do appreciate it. Absolutely, absolutely, and thank you. And we're always willing to, 
talk and let the let your listeners know what's going on in Raleigh. Sounds great. John Bell, thank you, sir. Thank you. Stay with us. I'll be right back. This is your Drive at Five, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. Taking a quick look at your weather forecast for this weekend. Uh, tonight, clear skies. Oh, they might have a few clouds passing by. Low of 73. Uh, hot is the key word over the weekend. Tomorrow, partly cloudy, high around 95. Tomorrow night, a chance of a stray thunderstorm. Low around 71. Sunday, partly cloudy. Again, a chance of a stray thunderstorm, a high of a 91, so <laughs> four degrees clearer. I mean, 95 versus 91, does it really make any difference? The uh, next Monday, it cools down back into the 80s and uh, 60% chance of rain on Monday. So uh, get out and enjoy the sunshine and uh, just drink plenty of uh, water and you're outside or Gatorade, something. Uh, that uh, is healthy for you as you get out in the sunshine. So remember what Uncle Joe, Cousin Eddie, Joe Biden said about Hunter back in the 2020 campaign. In fact, he said this in the last debate he had with Donald Trump. My son has not made money in terms of this thing about, uh, what are you talking about, China? Yeah, what what are you talking about? Like, like I, I have no idea what you're talking about. What happened? <laughs> NBC News, not exactly a conservative outlet. NBC News accidentally tripped and fell into some truth this week. That happens once in a while. According to NBC News, which did not hold back in its description of Hunter Biden's business partners, quote, this is from the NBC News, quote, from 2013 through 2018, Hunter Biden and his company brought in about $11 million via his roles as an attorney and a board member with a Ukrainian firm accused of bribery and his work with a Chinese businessman now accused of fraud. That time frame notably includes years in which Cousin Eddie was vice president. Specifically, as new NBC News review confirmed, quote, Biden made, speaking of Hunter, Biden made $5.8 million, more than half of his total earnings from 2013 to 2018, from two deals with Chinese business interest. More than $5 million for the record is a far cry from President Biden's 2020 debate that he hasn't made any money from China. Yeah. You know, that kind of blanket denial, this dogmatic denial, rarely ends well, especially when um, the person issuing it is someone like Joe Biden, who really cannot string two sentences together. It's only a matter of time. You know, when, when, when after, after a while, you ever notice people, as they lose their cognitive ability, they just, they just blurt out things that sometimes are true. And, uh, you know, they, they, the, Joe's already lost his filter and his filter is continuing to disintegrate, uh, week after week, month after month. Uh, when will Joe accidentally speak the truth? I, and I, I mean this sincerely, I think it will happen as NBC news points out stating the obvious quote, uh, they said, which don't show what he did to earn the millions 
from his Chinese partners. That that we don't know. We it, there's nothing in there that that proves he actually earned these millions. Uh, it raises questions about national security, business ethics, and potential legal exposure. The other thing that's interesting about this is how quickly Hunter Biden went through the money. It's estimated that he was spending two. How do you spend this much money? $200,000 per month. I mean, those are some high-priced hookers and some really good cocaine, apparently. $200,000 per month from October 2017 through February 2018. Yeah. Frank Figluzzi, who is uh, the FBI, former FBI assistant director for counterintelligence, he said, quote, said there is a national security risk when foreign powers like China see an opportunity to get close to someone like Biden, speaking of Joe. It's all about access and influence, and if you can compromise someone with both access and influence, that's even better, he said. Better still if that target is already compromised himself. You know, the Biden crime family, like the Clinton crime family, they think they're immune they think they can get away with anything because they've gotten away with stuff so so long and you know that usually happens to the bad guys the crooks they become overconfident they become cocky they think i've gotten away with everything so far this will continue to uh, happen the other thing that's interesting about this is the fact that nbc is reporting on this more and more it's either one of two things it is it is so obvious that this story is going to break that there are people within nbc that says we got to cover it we will lose all credibility if we don't that's one possibility the other possibility is joe is useless and he is worthless i mean they're reading the same poll numbers the rest of us are reading when they're depending upon the hispanic vote the Hispanic vote to undergird their terrible poll numbers. And then, as I mentioned yesterday, according to a new poll from Quinnipiac, the president's approval rating among Hispanics has plummeted to 26%. He is less less popular, less popular with Hispanics than any other group, including all ages and all demographics and all genders. So, uh, it, it does NBC look at that and say, well, you know, the guy's, the guy's worthless. He's killing us. He's not, you know, we're propping him up and he's pulling us down. I mean, I don't think NBC has suddenly decided, hey, you know what? Conservatism, you know, works and liberalism doesn't. Uh, they haven't said that. Uh, they, they're strictly looking at the bottom line and saying Joe is worthless. To make matters worse, the Biden administration has now, uh, this this really makes matters worse with the Hispanic vote. The Biden administration has rolled back sanctions on Cuba and Venezuela. Uh, and that is, that, that's going to make matters worse with Hispanics. And remember, there are a lot of Hispanics in this country that are fleeing Cuba, that are fleeing Venezuela, coming to the United States because they hate the communism. They hate the despots in charge. They hate the dictatorships. Maduro. Chavez. 
Castro brothers. They've, they've lived under that. They want to flee from that. They're coming to the United States, and now we have the Biden administration that says, hey, you know what? These guys aren't bad. Let's go ahead and cozy up to them. So what does Joe do? He's basically dropped all the, the sanctions that Trump put in place. What the Democrats don't realize is these kind of policy decisions are going to hurt them with voters, Hispanic voters, but beyond Hispanic voters. And, you know, these libs, these progressives, these people in the Biden administration, and for that matter, under Pelosi and Chuckles the Clown Schumer, they are either really ignorant on how such decisions will basically ruin their political futures. That's one possibility. Or they, frankly, just don't care. They don't give one iota and they're going scorched earth. They're saying, well, we're going out, so we might as well go out, you know, with a bang. We'll, we'll take as much down with us. We hate this country. We'll take as much down with us as we possibly can. The third possibility, though, and I'm dead serious when I say this, and it might, be, might go back to the, what we opened up with. You know, now the, the Biden administration spent $119 million on the monkeypox vaccination. Will that be uh, the introduction to uh, shutting down the elections this November? And, and I mean, the, the third possibility I'm talking about is they plan to steal another election. I'm I'm dead serious. Benvenito, President Abraham Enriquez, who heads the national nonprofit that promotes conservative policies in the Hispanic community, said in a statement to Town Hall that the Biden administration's new Cuba and Venezuela policies are terribly misguided. They will, quote, likely worsen the White House's challenges with Hispanic communities across the country. Quote, by and large, Hispanic Americans want the United States to be tough on the brutal Castro and Maduro regimes, not to reward them with unilateral concessions. Well, guess what else he's doing? Guess what else he's doing? While the Interior Department came out with that memo just yesterday saying, you know what, no more new leases, no more new gas drilling leases, oil drilling leases, shutting those down. And the uh, Secretary of uh, the Interior just looked at the camera with <laughs> her eyes wide like, we've been caught, caught by none other than Joe Manchin. But while they're doing that to the United States, basically, I'm sorry my bluntness, screwing the American citizen, the American taxpayer, guess what they're doing down in Venezuela? In Venezuela, they're saying, you know what, maybe we should reopen talks. Maybe we should reopen talks. We're going to allow Chevron to go in and start talking to the Venezuela government, Maduro and his henchmen. And maybe maybe they can, uh, you know, maybe we ought to get our fuel from them. Maybe we ought to get our oil from them. So while America could be energy independent, and we should be, we were. Under Donald Trump two years ago, we were. Instead, now what are we going to do? We're going to give our money to Venezuela. A brutal dictator. Venezuela, you can have the profits. Oh, that'll, that'll take care of uh, our fossil fuels. Yeah, that's a good idea. Shame. I mean, these, these liberals in the Biden administration, again, I know Joe is just, you know, he's just shuffling through the White House. He doesn't know what's going on. But the uh, puppet master, as Elon Musk said earlier in the week, the person that controls the teleprompter, is the one who's really the president. 
the puppet master. These people hate the United States of America. I mean, you know, don't get up there and give us this God bless America and we love our troops and all this other. You don't believe that for a second. It is the only reason you utter those words. It's a means to an end to get you reelected. And that's it. And once you get reelected, once you're in the House, once you're in the Senate, once you're in the White House, what are you going to do? Your, your, your goal, pretty obviously, is to destroy the United States of America and turn us into another Cuba, another Venezuela. Man, it's important we get out and put conservatives in. I mean true conservatives in. Hey, we got to take another time out. Stay with us. More news and views for a Friday coming right up. This is your Drive at 5 and ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. When we were talking to John Bell a few minutes ago, we were talking about the fact that uh, will there be new pro-life legislation? And he very aptly pointed out that, uh, yeah, we'd like to put together some pro-life legislation uh, now that it looks like Roe v. Wade will be uh, no longer the law of the land. But we've got Roy Cooper, who is a lib, who would uh, turn around and veto it. That's why we need a supermajority, which we hopefully will get this November. Uh, In Oklahoma, that is not the case. They have a conservative governor. They have a conservative legislature. And they have passed basically a law that eliminates abortion in the state of Oklahoma. Now, there are a a couple of exceptions for, for rape, life of the mother, those kind of things. But uh, and and not we're not talking about, okay if you got a hangnail and your health is in danger, you can have an abortion. No, I mean, these are legitimate concerns. But the White House yesterday turned around and condemned the new abortion bill passed in Oklahoma, calling the bill, quote, extreme, quote, absurd and quote, ultra MAGA. (laughs) That's the new term that the libs want to use that uh, Donald Trump has uh, gleefully embraced. The bill HB 4327 would ban all abortions after the moment of conception, except in the cases of rape, incest, or to save the life of the mother. The bill bans any procedures that, quote, cause the death of an unborn child, which defines as a human fetus or embryo in any stage of gestation from fertilization until birth. Republican Kevin Stitt has indicated he will sign the bill, which will go into effect immediately. And what did the White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre condemn the bill in a statement last night? Quote, the president believes that women have a fundamental right to make their own reproductive health choices, Jean-Pierre noted, adding that the Supreme Court decision of Roe v. Wade has been the law of the land for almost 50 years and, quote, basic fairness and the stability of the law demand that it not be overturned. So Jean-Pierre, would you have said that about Dred Scott? I mean, that was the law of the land. It was the stability of the law at the time that said, yeah, no, uh, blacks have no right to freedom. Uh, If they're a slave, then they will remain a slave. And you cannot run off and get your freedom by going to a different part of the country. You will be captured and you will be taken back. So uh, Dred Scott, that was was stability, uh, Jean-Pierre. Um, or how about, um, for 58 years, Presley versus Ferguson was the law of the land. What was that about? That was for 58 years. Now, Roe v. Wade's only been around for 50 years, not, not even 50, 49, if it's overturned this year, uh, Presley versus Ferguson said that, 
Um, racially segregated public facilities were legal as long as the facilities for blacks and whites were equal. That was on the books for 58 years. There's, there's some stability. So should we have kept that on the books there, Jean-Pierre? Today's action by the Oklahoma legislature is the most extreme effort to undo these fundamental rights we have seen to date, she said. In addition, it adopts Texas's absurd plan to allow private citizens to sue their neighbors for providing reproductive health care and helping women to exercise their constitutional rights. Well, you guys want to have um, basically secret police to uh, figure out uh, who, what is right and what is not right, and let's report on people that aren't doing and saying the right things with your ministry of truth. She went on to say, this is a part of a growing effort by ultra-MAGA officials across the country to roll back the freedoms we should not take for granted in this country. So, Jean-Pierre, taking your logic, slave owners should be have the freedom to own slaves, right? It was the law of the land. It was the, the stability of the law at the time. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was their freedoms to do that. Uh, segregationists should have the right to white-only schools or black-only schools, right? I mean, and, and now the death culture ought to have the right to kill babies in the womb. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, again, you know, the, the polls that they say, you know, the, the, the vast number of Americans want uh, abortion to continue, uh, the polls indicate, well, two things. Once, when the people learn the truth of Roe v. Wade, that it doesn't totally overturn abortions, it merely sends the decision back to the states, back to the people. Suddenly people say, well, that doesn't sound bad. But secondly, 71% of Americans, no, I'm sorry, 77% of Americans think that there should be some restrictions on abortion. It shouldn't be anytime, anywhere for any reason. Hey, listen, we got to run. Call it quits for today, but we'll be back on Monday. Have a great weekend. Our thanks to John Bell, and uh, we'll see you after the weekend on the first part of the week on News and Views. See you then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.